The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. My mom got remarried. She was living her life. She was with her husband. She felt that I should be with my brother. That's just what happened. I just accepted that. I learned to accept the lack of love just sort of a, this is just the way it is mentality. I had actually at that point moved with my mom to a new state. We both were starting over. And I said, well, is Tony coming with you? And that was her um, boyfriend at the time. And she said, no, I'm going, I'm leaving everything in Memphis. I'm going and just starting over. And I just loved the feeling and the sound of that. And when we got to our new town, he showed up and I felt betrayed. Only thing I had left was hope. And I felt like you're crushing that right now. I would cut my arms. I would do it in the dark. And I couldn't watch myself. When I would do it, I would say, I don't want to do this. I would say that I don't want to do it, but I would still be doing it. I just thought that I was taking matters into my own hands with my own life. When did you stop caring? Now, I know just asking that question could make some of you bristle a little bit and say, what are you talking about? I care. So let let me soften it. When did we stop caring? Here's how it goes. Life hurts us because people hurt us. And when we get hurt, We begin to guard our hearts so people can't hurt us more. Well, how do we actually guard our hearts? What we do is we create metaphorical barriers between us and other people. We don't let people close to us. We don't trust people emotionally. We We don't let them into our space, into our trust, into our world. We don't open our hearts up and we are not vulnerable with them. What what do we actually do? We, We allow our hearts to grow callous toward people, meaning we don't feel the pain as much because we determine in our heart that we don't care what they say. We don't care what they do. We stop caring. And because we've stopped caring, we've stopped feeling because it's our safety net, it's our protection, it's how we guard ourselves. Here's what that, here's what that sounds like in real life, in ordinary life, right? Like, let's use a marriage, for example. So you have a skirmish. Maybe, maybe one of you says the wrong thing, comes home a little late, doesn't follow through on a commitment or a promise, and so then you react, you retaliate, you bark an insult. 
And then that person's offended, your spouse. And so they, they say something that's a little below the belt because they know it's going to hurt. And, and you have a little verbal jousting going on. And eventually one of you throws a little bit too low of a blow and it really hurts. And so the other one hurts even worse and hits a, hits a tough hot button issue that you know is going to hurt and intentionally said it just to hurt. And you say, that's enough. And you create emotional distance by keeping your distance create a barrier, an emotional calloused barrier. And you try to convince yourself that you're not going to hurt because you don't care. And so that same emotional distance we create in a marriage, we can create with our children, we can create with a coworker or a colleague, a friend that betrayed us, classmate. We can do it to the people that live in our neighborhoods. We just create emotional space, callousing our hearts, keeping our distance from them. Telling ourselves we don't care. So, when did you stop caring? About your marriage, about your kids or your family, about your neighbors or your classmates or your colleagues, your coworkers? When did you stop caring about the world around you? So let me, let me um, bring this in a little bit. I'm going to bring you to a, a story set in ancient times, because maybe we can draw from the illustration in Simon Peter's life, because this guy really, you know, there's a lot of emotional baggage, a lot of barriers that were created because of his handling of his relationship with Jesus. So let me give you the story in a, in a nutshell, and then I'm going to bring you right into the text from the Bible, which is kind of, which tells us the account of the life interaction between Simon Peter and Jesus. Simon Peter is this fisherman, works for his dad, runs the business, a rugged individualist who takes matters into his own, own hands. He knows how to solve problems. One day they go out fishing, they're not successful, actually it's night, they go out fishing, it's un they're unsuccessful, they come back in the morning after fishing all day, Jesus sees them, says, hey, why don't you go back out, go fishing again, throw your nets on the other side. They do, and when they catch this monstrous amount of fish to the point where it almost swamps both boats, Simon Peter realizes, wow, I'm not just around some ordinary teacher, I'm in the presence of God. So he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Jesus challenges him. Peter, you've been spending your life fishing. I want to invite you to turn your focus from fishing to changing people's lives around you. Would you want to, are you willing to come follow me? And so Jesus, I mean Peter, along with his close friends and followers, they begin to follow Jesus. They follow him around for three years. They become very close to Jesus, not just as students, but as his friends and followers. And along the way, they see people's lives change radically. People who had blind eyes see the dead raised to new life. People who are poor, fed, and um, people who are broken-spirited, made whole. And then toward the end of those three years, Jesus begins to add another layer to his teaching. He starts talking about how he has to go and die. Peter doesn't want to hear any of this talk because, I mean, he's a rugged, tough guy. And so he says, Jesus, you're not going to die. Nobody's going to kill you. Me and my buddies will fight for you. And Jesus looks and says, no, you won't. Nope. In fact, you're all going to abandon me. 
So let's pick up the story. It's recorded by a guy named Matthew who writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what is later called the gospel according to Matthew, the eyewitness account of the life and teachings of Jesus from the lens of Matthew. Then we're going to click, click over quickly to Luke, and then we're going to land in the book written by John. All three of these different accounts of men who were there who recorded the life and teachings of Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of me, I never will. Luke 22, verse 33. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and even to death. And Jesus replies, no, you won't. Nope. You're, in fact, you're going to deny that you even know me. A day's going to come when I'm going to be arrested And while I'm arrested, you're going to deny that you ever knew me. Peter's like, no, no, that's not the case. It'll never happen. And then then Jesus is betrayed and arrested, and he's in the court being tried. Peter's on the outside in the courtyard denying that he ever knew Jesus. And the third time when he denies him to the point where he has to curse to make his point that he doesn't know Jesus, Jesus in the court turns and looks at Peter in the courtyard And in that moment, Peter remembers what Jesus said. He begins to weep bitterly, and he runs away. That's his last interaction with Jesus. Jesus is crucified and buried in the ground. Three days later, Peter hears word that Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, this should be, and for us, it is the greatest story ever told. I mean, this is the comeback moment. There is no better comeback story than Jesus coming to earth, dying on a cross, and then rising from the dead. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty epic. But for Peter, it, like, how do you get over all of the pain? How do you get past the hurt, the hardship, the denial, the betrayal? How do you get past this emotional distance that's been created because he blew it so royally? Because his love failed. He made promises of love and he made commitments and he pledged his loyalty. And then first time Jesus needed a close friend to stick by his side, Peter blew it. How do you get past it? So Fast forward, Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter does what Peter does. He grabs his friends and they go back to fishing, doing what hadn't worked the first time. And the same thing happens again. They're out fishing all night. They catch nothing. Jesus shows up on the shore and does the same thing. Hey guys, you caught anything? Nope, we didn't catch anything. They don't realize it's Jesus. He says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? They throw their nets on the other side of the boat. Bam, huge catch of fish. Peter, having the deja vu moment, goes, wait, I've been here before. Ah, that's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat, goes swimming, racing, clogging to Jesus, all sopping wet, hugs Jesus. But now what? All right, that's, that's what I want to pick up. Now what? So you're, you're hearing this message and your, your marriage is fractured or there's been some emotional baggage that you brought to the table and you want to get past it. You want to have that, yay, Jesus fixes everything moment. Maybe you're finally there and you're like, We're good. I'm, I'm close friend of Jesus, but that doesn't immediately clean up the mess. How do you clean up the mess? So we're going to jump in right there. This is kind of the, uh, well, this is the last message in the comeback series, which means we're kind of dealing with the last moments of Peter's story with Jesus. And we're going to look at the last moments of Peter's life. Here it is, as told through the lens of John in John chapter 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, so they, they had this catch of fish, they cooked some of the fish, they had breakfast. I know, sounds like a crazy breakfast for you, but having been in countries that eat like this, they serve you fish 
for breakfast. And uh, so that's what they do. They had fish for breakfast. They finished eating. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Here's what Jesus does. Hey, Peter, let's pick up where we left off when we last talked. Remember, you were making some commitments to me that you didn't keep. Remember the last time we talked, you, you were telling me how you were going to defend me, and then you cut off that guy's ear, and then I healed his ear, and I had to rebuke you. Remember the last time I saw you while you were denying that you even knew me? Let's just pick up right there. I know I've died, and I know I've risen again, but let's just kind of go right back to that spot. Do you want to tell me again how faithful you're going to be to me? Like, you want to make a commitment again and tell me that you love me with unfailing love? So let me, let me give you guys a little behind the scenes here. Some of you might already know this, but for many of you who do not, uh, the, the Bible was not originally written in the English language. It was actually translated from ancient languages into English. So what we have today is a translation, all right? So what I'm reading to you is a translation from original languages. The, this book, John, was written in Greek, all right? Now, that's important because the Greek language actually has several words for the word love that we have. Now, what we do is we add uh, adjectives onto the noun love, like I really love you. I don't even know if that's an adjective. We, we say, uh, we, we add an adverb onto when we have the verb of love. Um, so we make love, all right? So like, that, like we add it on, right? So, but in the, in the Greek, they don't even have to do that. They just have different words. So for example, uh, the word, uh, so a form of romantic or sexual love is the word eros, where we get the word erotic. Okay. Let's keep going here because you all don't need a big language lesson. Um, and then we have a, they have a second word. So like the love you feel for like your siblings, well, you wouldn't use the word love. Um, <laughs> neither do the Greeks. They would use the word phileo. It's, it's the kind of love you share in family and among friends. It's not sexual love. It's a different kind. It's like a family, deep friendship. I, I, so like it's what guys are like, hey, I love you, bro. Like it's that kind of love, phileo, all right? And then you have this totally different kind of love. It's a, um, so the, the noun would be agape love. The verb would be agapeo. And with that word, if I say I agapeo you, what I am saying is I am willing to die for you. I give you love that will never fail. I make a commitment to you. I will never back down. I devote my life to you. Like that's a big, big word, right? Like that's like the, that's like the million dollar word. All right, you with me? So here, here's what's going on right in this story. We'll make it really quick. Um, it goes like this. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me more than everyone else? You want to tell me again how faithful you're going to be? You want to tell me again how you're not going to deny me? And Peter, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I phileo you. Peter goes, I'm not going down that road again. I blew it three times. I know my limits of love. My love failed. When I tried to do this whole agapeo thing, it blew up in my face. So I can tell you my limit. My limit's phileo. That's about as far as I'm willing to go with this. You ask me if I agapeo you, Jesus, I, I, I'm a friend. I'll treat you like a brother, but I know my limits. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly agapeo me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Twice, Jesus asks, 
Do you agapeo me? Twice Peter responds, I phileo you. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? This one hurts. He says it right there. That's how I know. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked, do you phileo me? I mean, Jesus, I might not measure up to this unfailing, never denying kind of love, but I mean, you know that I see you as a brother and a friend and I I love you. You know, you're, you're part of my family. Jesus said, then he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I phileo you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. But here's what's going on. Why would Jesus press so hard? In this moment, well, three times Peter denied that he even knows Jesus. So three times Peter, Jesus calls him to make a commitment of his devotion. Three times Peter turned his back on Jesus. So three times Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Peter, do you love me? But there's something a little deeper going on than that because oftentimes you're going to hear this. This is where the story ends. Like, okay, that's it. These three times, three exchanges. No, no, but there's something more. What Jesus is doing is like this. Peter, are you going to try to do this in your own strength? Like, are you going to stand up there and you're going to make a vow to me that you can't keep again? Like, are we going to keep going around and around? You think you're going to make a comeback of love? You're going to stand here and you're going to tell me how committed you're going to be to me because here's what's going to happen. You're going to fail again. So let's change the story. Let's get this one right this time. And this is where it becomes personal to you and I. Because now our story picks right up in that spot where we fail, where we blow, where we're confronted face to face with our own shortcomings and limitations. And that's where Jesus met Peter in his brokenness, in his weakness, in the failure of the limitations of his love. And the challenge we're given, the challenge that Jesus gives Peter is this, hey, Peter, hey, us, love extravagantly. I'm inviting you and I'm challenging you to love in the unfailing, unconditional way that only God can offer. But we know we can't do it. We know that we can't agapeo properly. We're going to blow it. It's impossible. Oh, we make those commitments, don't we? We stand at an altar and we hold hands with our future spouse. And the minister says, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death parts us, I do. And then we don't. That doesn't mean necessarily that person runs off and has an affair and breaks the commitment and breaks their vows. But how many marriages that stay together? They don't. They weren't doing for richer, for poorer. Not in sickness and in health. Not any one of us. Why? Because we make commitments we can't keep. We don't have the capacity to love like that. Why? Because what drives us is a deeper force called sin. Sin, which sabotages our best intentions. Sin, which is the antithesis of love. Love that causes us to be selfless, but sin drives us to be selfish. Sin, which motivates the desires inside of us. Desires to pursue our own pleasures and passions. Desires to serve ourselves when love calls us to serve others. Sin drives not only our desires, but our decision-making. 
causing us to make decisions to sabotage the very people we say we love. Sin motivating Peter to deny Jesus. Peter to go back to what wasn't working before. Sin that destroys homes and wrecks relationships. Sin is what's at work in our lives, ruining our marriages and wrecking relationships with our kids. Sin is what corrupts the workplace and is devastating the world around us. And worse, sin just doesn't cause ruin and brokenness in relationships. Sin leads toward an eternal ruin where every one of us are on a crash course trajectory with eternal judgment in a place of damnation and eternal suffering. If that's where the story ended, it would be a horrible story. But it doesn't end there because it's a comeback story. Jesus came to earth to die on a cross because he took the collective eternal death sentence that was placed on every one of us. He, he put himself in our place and died for us. He took the death punishment, the sin penalty off of us and onto himself in and in the greatest act of agapeo, he unconditionally loves us when we did not deserve it, when we did nothing to earn it, when we never could pay for it. He agapeoed us by taking our debt, our death, our suffering on himself and died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins. So the denial of Peter on Jesus, the death Peter deserved on Jesus so he died once for all. And the great comeback was that Jesus not only died, but he rose again. And in his resurrection, he conquers the driving force of sin in our lives so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith, the grip that sin has on our heart is loosened. The operating system of our life is changed because God's spirit enters into our spirit and reconfigures our internal wiring so that previously when sin was controlling our spiritual being, now God's spirit controls our spiritual being and now we're driven by new life. We're driven by love. God, through this great comeback victory of Jesus, imparts his life into our life so that now because God's spirit is alive in us, we have not just a spiritual life, but we have eternal life living inside of us. And he removes from us the eternal death judgment so that in place of an eternity in suffering, we're given eternal life in paradise with God forever. Hey, that's, a, I could just, we could just call it a day, right? Be like, right there. That's awesome. Right, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When we didn't deserve it, when we didn't earn it, when we did nothing right, God came. And the great act of agapeo, God so agapeoed us that he gave his one and only son to rescue us from death to life, to rescue us from sin so that we could receive true love. And when you receive true love, it transforms your life. What, what does that look like? What does that sound like? How does that change your story? Well, listen to a little bit more of Victoria's story. And one morning before school, she caught me. She, you know, grabbed both of my arms and looked at him. She said, no, something is wrong with you. She took me to our family physician 
I wanted someone to listen to me without judgment, without knowing who I am or my past or my weaknesses or any of that. And that's what he did. Uh, he didn't call me sick or any of that. He just said, I want you to sign a promise contract. And this says that you will commit to living. It's a contract. You have to commit to living. If you want to call me, if you don't feel like you're going to make it, call me. And if you want to commit to living, sign it. And I signed it because I did want to, I really did want to live. The hope came back. And as time went on, I became a little stronger to where I stopped cutting myself. But I just sort of secretly uh, prayed. You know, if you're real, can you help me? And I started to really understand a lot of things. At a very young age, I, I just concluded that I had to experience those things because it pushed me to a place to where I could lean on nothing but God. I eventually moved. I um, started going to a church and I joined that church and they took me in and um, started teaching me, you know, the, the way of God, the way of Jesus. And slowly but surely, that empty hole started to fill in. All of those things that I was struggling with was mental, and I was able to overcome that because of something else that's sort of invisible, and that's love. That's what he sort of filled me with. Jesus doesn't come judging first. He doesn't come demanding love. He comes to give love. He, doesn't, he didn't come to Peter and say, Peter, I want to hear you make a commitment of agapeo to me. He goes, hey, phileo, we'll go with this. Are you even sure you can pull that off? Because I'm willing to offer you what you can't give. I'm willing to agapeo you in your failure. I'm willing to agapeo you in your defeats. I'm willing to agapeo you when you can't do it on your own. In fact, Peter, that's my point. Stop trying to do this love thing in your own ability, in your own strength. I want you to receive my love. I'm not demanding something from you. I'm here offering to fill your life with an abundance of my love, love that not only fills you, but then spills out of you. So let's jump into Peter's story again. Peter, after this moment, you know, as he's going through this moment, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agapeo me? Jesus, I follow you. Then feed my sheep. So right there, we're going to look at this. What Jesus does is he says, I don't demand anything from you. I'm offering it to you. But when you receive my love, I want you to share my love with others. So Peter's life. Fast forward, Peter gives his life to serving Jesus in ministry. He, he helps start churches. He pastors people. He pastors cities and communities. And late in life, he's arrested and tried as a criminal for usurping the Roman authority 
and is brought to Rome where he sits in prison awaiting a death sentence. And from prison, he writes letters to the people he loved, these new believers in the Christian faith. And in those letters, he writes out instructions on how you live your life devoted to Jesus, how you live out a love that is world-changing. So let's jump in right there. Peter's first letter to the church in chapter 4. Verse 7, the end of all things is near, he writes, certainly for him, but also for every one of us. We don't know our time. We don't know how much space we have on earth. We don't know the time and day when Jesus comes and says, okay, that's the end of the game. I'm going to bring you up with me to heaven. And then story changes. So the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. He goes, now, if you don't hear anything else I say, above all, Love others deeply. Now, I love it because this is coming from Peter. Peter who, I mean, he's the, he's the epitome. He's the example of not loving deeply. Because the word he uses there to describe, is remember, we're talking Greek here, right? So if it sounds like Greek, you're right on the same page. Uh, he says, so here's the deal. To love others deeply, the word he uses there is this unfailing, unceasing, love others in such a way that your love never gives up. Your love never denies. Your love never quits. Dude, that's the kind of love I want you to show other people. How are you going to do that? Because you're going to receive love from God, and then you're going to give love in such a way that your love doesn't waver. When the world around you is crashing in, when people hurt you, and otherwise you should feel callous toward them, when your instinct is to build a wall of barriers between you and other people, whether it's in your home or in parenting or at school or at work or in the community, here's what I want you to do. Love others deeply. Let, let's make this practical. How can you live that out? To love others extravagantly means we have to go out of our way. When your instinct is to avoid and to isolate, to create space between you and those that hurt you, even if they live in your home, instead of treating your spouse as your enemy or another person in your life as a stranger, you go out of your way to show up in their life. You come into their space. I know, I know it's their fault. I know they've wronged you. Go out of your way. People are not projects to fix, nor problems to solve. They're precious in God's sight. You and I have a responsibility when we receive the love of God to go out of our way, to show up in people's lives. That phrase I would use is walk across the street. When you otherwise would cross over to avoid you got to see the person hurting, see their pain, see the problem, and walk across the street and show up in their life. Who are you avoiding? Who have you isolated yourself from that you need to go out of your way to be present with? Whether it's to make the phone call or to pay them a visit. And you have to do it humbly in agapeo love. Don't show up demanding them to agapeo you. Maybe the best they can do is phileo you at the best. Maybe they can't even stand you. But your agapeo is going to spill out and transform that relationship. What does it look like when you go out of your way? It means you begin to see people not as strangers, but as friends. Rather than enemies, as peers. And when you begin to see people differently, you take the time to listen to them, listen to their stories, listen to their pain, 
to their brokenness, to their struggles, not to excuse what they've done, but to understand what they've been through. When you understand what people have been through because you showed up and you took the time to listen and understand their story, then you can apply the next principle that Peter offers. As I continue to read, he goes, above all, love others deeply, right? Go out of your way, get deeply involved. Um, Show up when it hurts the most. Then he continues, because love covers a multitude of sins. When you show that kind of love, you're willing to overlook offenses. You're willing to forgive people the wrong. Some of you, you've been holding grudges, and it's time for you to get over that. It's time for you. You've been holding grudges because you were loving people with your own kind of mustard love. Not mustard as in the yellow junk. I mean like a love that you can try to muster up. Um, But it's time for you to start letting agapeo love spill out of you, which then empowers you to forgive people even when they've wronged you deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let me just pause right there. We're just going to pause. To love others extravagantly, you not only have to go out of your way, but you have to get involved in people's lives. Getting involved means right there, he goes, you have to be willing to forgive people. And you have to be willing to, willing to serve them. You have to be willing to show some hospitality. What, what, what does that look like? All right, so like, let's just, I can go with the marriage thing because I mean, I feel like I get this every day. You know, like I'm just a bumbling idiot. And so I have to, I feel like I've got to like fix this one constantly. I'm not, I feel like in my own home, I have to remind myself, like, Patrick, you're, you're not doing this right. So how do we go out of our way and get involved? That means like sometimes it's got to be like, sweetheart, maybe I can make you breakfast today. Me, I need to do that. Like maybe today it's like, sweetheart, how can I take out the trash? Maybe I can, you know, change the dirty diaper. Like how can I get involved in the, in the struggles you're walking through? See, it's not enough to go out of your way and show up in someone's life if you're not willing to do anything to help. Sometimes we've got to be willing to lift the burdens off of broken people. Sometimes we've got to be willing to not only listen and understand, but actually get involved enough where the mess in their life gets on us and makes us look a little messy. Some of us, we don't want to smell like other people. We don't want, to, we don't want their mess, their pain, their struggle, their problems to get, infect us. And so we keep a distance and it's time for us to be willing to look a little filthy with them. Let their dirt get on us by getting involved, by showing a little hospitality. And don't do it grumbling as if they owe you something. They don't owe you anything because you're not doing it because of what they deserve. You're doing it because of what you didn't deserve that you received from God. You received agapeo love. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. So you're giving it away. You're saying, I'm willing to show hospitality to you because of what I received from God. So I can do it without complaining. Some of y'all, you, you, you're trying to love in the way of Jesus, but you're grumbling the whole time, which devalues and diminishes the whole expression of God's love. Jesus wasn't on the cross grumbling about your sins. He was on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. We need to get to the place where we begin to say, Father, forgive them. Don't say this out loud. Certainly don't say in your home, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's not going to get you anywhere. Um, but we can certainly, in our hearts, say, Father, forgive them. Help me to love them the way you love. And then, let's wrap it up with this. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. 
See, it's the expression of the generosity of God in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To love others extravagantly, meaning spilling the agapeo love of God out in a, in, a, in a dramatic way, means we have to go out of our way, we have to get involved, and then we have to give. Give. It's costly. Love is expensive. We know how expensive love is. For God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son so that undeserving sinners could believe and receive new life through faith in him. When you agapeo people, it's expensive. Cost you your life, your desires, your self-interests. Because agapeo love is putting aside your wants, your needs, your desires for the needs of others. It's gonna require you to give up time, create space in your schedule, to serve and to give and to love. It's gonna require you to give up your talents, your abilities, things that you're good at. So you can leverage those to help someone else rather than just to help you. It's gonna require you to give up your treasure. Yeah, what's precious and important to you? Probably for many of us, it's gonna require you to actually give financially. I assure you, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Some of you claim to love, but you're hoarding and you're holding back what's most valuable in your life because you have not been transformed by agapeo love. So let's jump into how the story ends. Peter, 68 AD, after he writes these letters, he's brought before kind of a Banana Republic kind of courtroom. He's questioned, Peter, if you deny that you even know Jesus, if you deny that you're faith in Jesus, then we'll kill you quickly. If not, you're going to suffer. We're going to crucify you like we did Jesus. Now this part we don't know, but you can just imagine it. Peter in his mind stands there and thinks, I already denied Jesus three times. I'm not doing it again. He loved me when I didn't deserve love. No, I will not deny him. And so here's what we do know. He says to his accusers to the court, Hey, the only thing I ask, I'm not going to deny him. The one thing I ask is that you don't give me the honor of dying the way Jesus died. At least kill me in a different way. So they crucified Peter upside down. In the center of the Roman city, they crucified Peter. I can only imagine as Peter passed from this life into the next life. Having not denied his Lord and Savior, he enters into, into eternity where he sees Jesus. And I just have this picture in my mind of Jesus with his arms wide open. Peter, do you agapeo me? And G Peter comes running up. Jesus, you know I agapeo you. And they just embrace, right? Like I love, I, I just, I feel like that's how you and I are going to be welcomed into heaven. Not because we could ever do it on our own, but because we've received this extravagant love from God. And then that extra extravagant love spills out of us onto other people and we return it back to God. Some of you, you've been trying to do this in your own strength. It's time for you to overcome a calloused heart and work through the walls that you've built in relationships by simply receiving this agapeo love of God that you don't earn and you don't deserve. In fact, we deserve very much the opposite. 
And when you receive by believing in Jesus Christ by faith, you receive his love, you receive his forgiveness of sins, you allow his spirit into your spirit, it changes everything. And when it changes everything, you are overwhelmed with a love that you can begin to give away in an extravagant way. So where are you at right now? This is your commitment time. It's a time for the Holy Spirit to begin to stir. Maybe he's already stirring in your heart, but I just want you to create space to allow God's spirit to speak to your spirit. Some of you right now, you need to receive that kind of love. It's time for you to allow God to heal your heart and your hurts and begin to heal what's broken and wrong. And you need to allow God's love to lavish on you so extraordinary that you experience the forgiveness, healing, and transformation that comes by allowing God's spirit into your spirit. And if that's where you're at, that's the commitment you make to believe in Jesus Christ, allow him to become the Lord of your life. And there are others of you, many of you, you believe in Jesus. You've received extravagant love, but you're not allowing it to spill out of you. You're being greedy with forgiveness. You're being greedy and hoarding his love. He wants to pour it into you in such a way that it spills out of you. How do you need to go? How do you need to start going out of your way and getting involved in giving of your life? Trust me, there are people that are starving for it. So would you take a moment, would you pray? Say, God, where do I need to make a commitment right now in receiving or giving extravagant love? Would you take a moment and would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.